Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, a Southern Baptist church in the Atlanta area rebels against the denomination on the issue of homosexuality, and pastors who participated in the events in Washington, D.C. on January 6 are now facing consequences from their home churches. We begin today with more news from the rapidly evolving situation at Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries has stopped fundraising as it continues to deal with the fallout of an investigative report made public last week that shows its late founder was guilty of sexual misconduct and abuse. In light of the recent revelations regarding our founder, a statement said, we find it prudent to suspend all fundraising activities until a path forward can be envisioned that includes care for all of Ravi's victims, as well as the staff and supporters of RZIM. This new development comes on the heels of an independent investigation and the subsequent report compiled by the law firm Miller and Martin. What does that report say? It said that Ravi Zacharias, who died in May of 2020, had engaged in sexual behavior that included groping spa workers, asking for sexual favors, and compiling a collection of more than 200 selfies, some of them explicit, with young women. And there were other developments regarding the organization. Yeah, earlier this week, uh, the UK board of Zacharias Trust cut its ties with RZIM here in the United States, saying that the U.S. group's reaction to the report was not strong enough. The UK board, which operates the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, said that it will choose a new name and will operate going forward without any link to RZIM US. And book publishers are cutting ties with Ravi Zacharias as well. The Christian publishing arm of HarperCollins has taken all of Ravi Zacharias' books out of print. His first book with the company was published way back in 1994. It's called Can a Man Live Without God? And his most recent book is Seeing Jesus from the East, a fresh look at history's most influential figure. That book was co-written with Abdu Murray and was released in April of 2020. There was a planned book with Vince Vitale called Jesus for You. That will no longer be released by Thomas Nelson. And Zondervan will publish a revised version of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, which had included a chapter on Ravi Zacharias. I should say that these book cancellations are just another example of how Ravi's wrongdoing has created victims all across the board. I mean, Vince Vitale, Lee Strobel, uh, Abdu Murray, these are guys that uh, have had their careers interrupted as well by what Ravi has done. In fact, in a news release shortly after Ravi Zacharias' death in May of 2020, uh, HarperCollins said that Ravi's books had been published in 21 different languages and that he had sold more than 2 million copies in English alone. Our next story involves the assault on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, and a number of pastors are now facing consequences because of their involvement. 
Yeah, Tyler Etheridge is one of those pastors. He was a youth pastor at Christ-Centered Church in Tampa, Florida, which is actually in Dover, Florida, a Tampa suburb. On January 6th of 2021, Tyler attended the Stop the Steal rally near the Capitol, and along with other Trump-supporting pastors, he followed the crowd and illegally entered the Capitol, filming himself amid the violence, destruction, and chaos there and posting the videos on Parler. Christ-Centered Church church announced on January 19th that Etheridge no longer worked there, though neither Etheridge nor the church said whether he had been fired or resigned. And he's not the only one. No, another pastor, Tommy Farrell, had served as the lead pastor for Briar Lake Church in Decatur, Georgia, which is right outside of Atlanta. He had been there for 16 years, in fact. Last Sunday, though, he announced that he would be moving on from that church. By the way, it's a large church, 2,300 members and part of the Southern Baptist Convention. He claimed that he wanted to move into another school district that better suited his children's educational needs, but his activism, including his support of false news reports regarding the election results, had generated a lot of news in the Atlanta area. And by the way, you can find an an article that tells more information about these stories and others uh, on our website. Well, up next, Warren, we have the on-again, off-again story of Max Licato and the National Cathedral. Yeah, we reported last week that evangelical megachurch pastor Max Lucado had spoken at Washington's National Cathedral, but that his speech had been protested by LGBTQ activists. Now, the leaders of the Episcopal Church, which owns the National Cathedral, uh, have capitulated to the LGBTQ activists and apologized for inviting Max Lucado. And subsequent to that, even, Max Lucado has apologized for what he now describes as disrespectful and hurtful language that he used in a 2004 sermon on homosexuality. In that 2004 sermon, he called homosexuality sexual sin and concluded that the Bible never minces words regarding God's feelings towards homosexual activity. Lucado clarified in his letter of apology that he believes in the traditional biblical understanding of marriage, but that he also believed in a God of unbounded grace and love. Well, while we're on the subject of LGBTQ matters, Orrin, we have news from a church in Georgia. Yeah, a suburban Atlanta church. I mentioned a Decatur church earlier. This is a northern suburb. Kennesaw has been put on notice by the Southern Baptist Convention for welcoming LGBTQ LGBTQ people as members of the congregation. After extending church membership to a gay couple and their three children, uh, senior pastor Jim Conrad of Kennesaw's Town View Baptist Church received an email from the Southern Baptist Convention Credentials Committee questioning the church's decision to extend membership to practicing LGBTQ congregants. The church was then told in a February 8th letter from the committee that its actions were not in friendly cooperation with the convention. However, Conrad said that uh, there was nothing in his church's bylaws that prevented the family from joining. So what happens next? Well, the SBC Executive Committee will convene on, on February 23rd to decide whether or not to cut ties with the church. If the SBC does cut ties, though, Town View um, said that it will not send delegates to the denomination's annual convention, though it may stay in 
cooperation with the state convention. It's also worth noting that since this church came out in favor of membership for unrepentant gay men and women, the church's membership has fallen by about 30%. Well, Warren, we have to take a break here, but when we return, we'll look at how churches are responding to the weather crisis in Texas. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, let's continue with the story that I promised before the break about how churches and Christian ministries are responding to the weather crisis in Texas. Well, I probably don't need to tell you that freezing temperatures and a rare major snowstorm have caused power outages that have affected millions of people in Texas, uh, leaving them both without power, and that means heat in most cases, but also in some cases without water as well. Uh, In fact, communities are now having to boil water before drinking, and Texas officials are not sure when the power outages will end. The Weather Channel's reported that that 17 people, I should say, have died uh, due to the storm. But it's also caused Christian churches and ministries to sort of step into the gap and and meet some really serious needs. Reverend Wayne Walker of Our Calling, a Dallas-based homeless ministry, has said that his organization has thrown open the doors of its building so that people can come and shelter and get warm. But a new law in Dallas has allowed churches to step into this crisis in a new way. Yeah, the city of Dallas passed an ordinance just last November that allows churches to open as emergency shelters during freezing weather. Uh, The city has also opened the convention center as a warming station, and churches and ministry volunteers are signing up to take shifts to staff the convention center. As many as 600 people per night are now staying at the convention center. And the Salvation Army, Oak Long United Methodist Church in Dallas, and other faith groups are taking meals and other supplies into the convention center to help these people. Now, speaking of faith-based groups, the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships was reestablished via executive order by President Biden this week. Yeah, Melissa Rogers has been appointed executive director and the senior director for faith and public policy in the White House Domestic Policy Council. Uh, Josh Dixon will be the deputy director. Uh, Dixon had served in the Biden administration. Uh, Trey Baker, who had previously also worked in the Biden for President campaign, uh, will serve as the liaison to the black communities, including black faith communities. Uh, George W. Bush established what um, 
was then called the White House Office for Faith-Based and Community Initiatives back in 2001. Uh, the White House announcement this week, in fact, quoted uh, President Bush as saying that the government uh, can't replace the church and the church can't replace the government, but they can work as partners. Well, on our next story, a new bill introduced to the California legislature would deem religious services essential. Senator Brian Jones, a Republican in San Diego County, introduced a piece of legislation on Friday that would deem religious services an essential activity during any declared state of emergency. The bill is known as, simply enough, the Religion is Essential Act, and it would require state and local governments to allow religious services to continue uh, during any emergency. And it would prohibit government institutions from enforcing a health safety or occupancy requirement that would place a substantial burden on religious services. Uh, it comes in the aftermath of a number of high-profile controversies involving churches who wanted to remain open during the COVID crisis. Now, one of these churches was John MacArthur's Grace Community Church. But this week, the church actually made a decision to cancel one of its flagship events. Yeah, Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, a suburb of L.A., announced on Friday that it would be postponing its annual three-day conference after L.A. County officials uh, expressed concern about the potential of that event to spread COVID. The Shepherds Conference, that's the name of the event, was scheduled for March 3rd through the 5th. Last year, it drew thousands of attendees, and in the aftermath of the conference, um, many people got sick from the COVID uh, virus. But uh, Friday's uh, post on both Facebook and Twitter said that the church didn't want to fight the threatened actions by LA County and said that we've decided that the most prudent course of action at this time would be to postpone the Shepherds Conference. Lauren, we have to take another break, but when we return our shining light story of the week and an update on the health of Pastor Tim Keller. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, up next, Warren, let's do a quick lightning round of stories. And first up is news about Tim Keller. Christian author and preacher Tim Keller uh, shared encouraging news about his battle with pancreatic cancer with Twitter followers last week and thanked them for their prayers. Uh, the pastor emeritus of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, he's also a best-selling author and theologian, said that 
He had been shifted to a less aggressive and less damaging type of chemotherapy after a CT scans showed a significant decrease in both the size and the number of his tumors. He called it excellent news, and he said that we are rejoicing that God has worked through your prayers and chemotherapy to accomplish so much. Keller had announced back in June that he had cancer and has been undergoing treatment ever since. Up next, the story of religious affiliation among Black Americans. Yeah, the the new study said that one in five Black Americans are not affiliated with any religion and instead identify as either atheist, agnostic, or a religious nun, according to the Pew Research Study. The trend towards secularization is continuing to grow with each new generation, according to the study, though many who don't affiliate with a religion do say that they are spiritual and try to live out their belief system in some way outside of religious institutions. To get specific about some of the numbers, about 28% of Gen Z is religiously unaffiliated. About 33% of millennials is unaffiliated. And that's a huge increase over previous generations. The survey found, for example, that only about 11% of black baby boomers were religiously unaffiliated. Now, when these sorts of surveys have been around for years, and they've given rise to uh, such headlines and even books and with titles like uh, The Rise of the Nuns, is that a real thing? Well, it's a good question. You know, I've been covering religion off and on for probably close to 40 years, and and I don't remember a time when surveys like this haven't shown up, motivated a few weeks' worth of headlines and maybe even a book or two in the process, and then faded uh, for a few years until the next big survey comes out. One of the problems with surveys like this is that they don't measure the intensity of religious conviction. And by that, I mean this. Did people in years past go to church out of a real conviction, in other words, that they actually believed what the church thought, or because it provided them a social network or community standing? Uh, And of course, maybe they don't need church to provide that social network anymore. It's also hard to make apples to apples comparisons to past surveys because very few of them happen systematically. In other words, they don't ask the same questions to the same group year after year after decade after decade. And so they're hard to compare. Um, They also don't take into account that people tend to become more conservative as they get older. So it's easy to say that young people are, you know, less affiliated or have less belief than older people. Well, those same Older people probably were less affiliated and had less strong convictions when they were young as well. We know that, for example, people get more conservative when they get older, and they tend to look for religious affiliation when they get married and have children. To me, what was most interesting about this survey is that it highlighted differences between predominantly white and predominantly black churches. It asked questions like, the length of service and how interactive the services were. Uh, For example, one of the questions was, have you heard a shouted amen in a service during the sermons, or does your service include speaking in tongues? And what were the answers to those questions? Well, the answer to the first question, have you heard a shouted amen, was about 100% from um, black churches, from the black respondents. And the answer to the second question about speaking in tongues was about 50%. And by the way, we've got a whole lot more of the specific data from that survey on the Ministry Watch website. Now, Warren, I understand that you also have an update on the Hillsong situation. 
Yeah, a new couple has been named to lead Hillsong East Coast, replacing the former ousted pastor, Carl Lentz, and his wife, Laura. Uh, Christian and Danielle Jehanatram have uh, been pastors of a Hillsong campus in Australia. They've been named to the top spot here in the United States. Their appointment comes on the heels of an independent investigation into the Manhattan megachurch. Uh, according to an email from Brian Houston on Friday, uh, they have identified some significant ways that the Manhattan church had failed to live up to the Hillsong culture. And uh, that investigation was conducted in the wake of Carl Lentz's affair, uh, termination for moral failure, which did include uh, an extramarital affair. Well, we always like to end on a positive note here on the podcast. So can you tell us about the new Shining Light story that you've posted this week? It's about uh, Windswept Academy. Yeah, our writer, Bethany Starin, has brought us another great story. Uh, she followed Ann Connor, who first started uh, work on the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation in South Dakota uh, in 2001. Connor had been introduced to the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation as a part of a vacation Bible school mission trip that she had taken with her home church in Hamilton, Virginia. Connor said that she remembers uh, going there to South Dakota and being sort of horrified by what she saw, immediately running out to the store to purchase shoes for uh, children that she saw there that didn't even have shoes. Um, and it was during that week there in 2001 that she thinks the Holy Spirit started pricking her heart about working there more uh, vigorously. And by the way, I should mention that Connor was 61 years old at the time. That was 20 years ago. And it didn't take long, but she and her husband uh, eventually moved to Faith, South Dakota, appropriately named town, Faith, South Dakota, uh, which is about 40 miles from Eagle Butte, where the Indian Reservation was. And in 2009, uh, they started the nonprofit Windswept Academy with just 12 students from the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation. The goal of Windswept Academy is threefold. Number one, to provide free and Christ-centered education, to break the cycle of national educational discrepancies in, um, in education for Native American students students, and to pave the way for a healthy post-school life, whether that be inside or off of the reservation. So that was 12 years ago. What's the status today? Well, now the school has just short of 100 students, and they're looking to start a second campus. Not bad for an 80-year-old grandmother. And one other thing, though the Connors spent most of their lives elsewhere, they just bought funeral plots in the town of Faith, South Dakota. They said they did it in part because they wanted the kids to know that they were committed to this process until they died. Wow, that's such an amazing story. Well, Warren, to close, what organization is in this week's ministry spotlight? Yeah, Rod Pitzer has profiled Mercy Ships. Lots of our listeners probably know about this ministry. It began in 1978 as a ship-based international healthcare organization. Mercy Ships essentially deploy floating hospitals to the poorest of the poor all around the world. They can do surgery on board and, and do all, all other kinds of medical care. And it's grown into a massive ministry. Last year, the revenue was about $140 million. And I got to say that there's a lot that I like about Mercy Ships. But one of the things that I don't like is that it spends about $20 million a year on fundraising, which is a far larger percentage than most ministries. So we strongly advise people to check out our profile before they decide to give more money to Mercy Ships. 
And finally, ministries making a difference. Yeah, every Monday, Christina Darnell does a quick survey of news about ministries doing good things in the world. And this week, she features Reconciliation Ministries, an addiction recovery and discipleship program down in South Carolina. Uh, They've uh, just recently uh, purchased new buildings, seven new buildings, to bring the total that they own there to 25. It makes a total of 88 apartment units to meet the growing need for residents that are requesting access to the program. Uh, The ministry is also uh, in the middle of hosting a mattress sale fundraiser uh, to pay for participant scholarships and to teach them life skills. Another ministry, Key to Kids Ministries, is interesting because it offers free 24-7 Christian radio programming for kids, and they've seen their listenership double in the past year, probably because of the COVID crisis. They uh, feature Christ-centered programming geared for the ages of four through 14, uh, music, radio dramas, devotionals, and other resources. Well, that's good news. That brings us to a close. Our producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pritzer, Roxanne Stone, Maddie Townsend, Paul Clolery, Bethany Starin, Bob Smatima, Steve Raby, and Ann Stike. And thanks to our friends at Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 